Psalm 2. Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have consecrated my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the sun, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All those who take refuge in him are happy. The second reading is Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 31, and can be found on page 1005. Now, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them, because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as an example. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they, had, after, they, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, "'What should we do with these men?' For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done, for this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said said to them. When they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, 
Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing, signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rach. Thanks, Dean. Morning, everyone. My name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Church by the Bridge. It's great to be with you, and it's great to be looking at Acts chapter 4. Why don't I pray before we get stuck into it? Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a speaking God. Father, we pray that you would open the scriptures to us this morning. Teach us by your Spirit, through your Word so that we might see ourselves in it, and most importantly, see our glorious Saviour. Amen. Do keep that open. Um, I've done some pretty scary things in my life. I once skied down a black run, thinking it was a green run. I once scrummaged against a scrum full of convicted convicts, And I once proposed to a woman who was well out of my league. Scary, scary things. But none of those things are quite as scary as talking about Jesus to the people that I love and the people I know about Jesus who do not know Jesus. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Talking about Jesus, it's pretty weird even in a country where it's legal to talk about Jesus. You saw that list from Open Doors, the top 50 countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian. Syria's in that list. Iraq's in that list. They're pretty scary countries to live. Where was Australia in that list? Nowhere. There's nowhere. We have a great freedom as Christians, don't we? Here in Sydney, we can talk about Jesus. We can meet in Jesus' names. uh, We can sing about Jesus without fear of getting our heads kicked in by the police. But still, as Christians, we get scared about talking about Jesus. And rightly so. We fear our friends' reaction, don't we? We fear that they'll be hostile to us, that they might reject our friendship, Uh, We fear our ability as sharers of Jesus, don't we? We think, oh, perhaps I won't be able to answer the questions that they ask. Or perhaps they'll just point out that bit of hypocrisy in my life. And so we uh, self-censor and we keep quiet. Pretty scary talking about Jesus, isn't it? But we must talk about Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through Acts, and we have seen the start of the church. We've seen Jesus go up to heaven, and Jesus' Spirit come down from heaven on his people. 
So that as they speak about Jesus, as God's people speak about Jesus, people are saved by Jesus. Christians speak about Jesus through our acts. And people are saved by Jesus. So that the work of the risen Jesus can continue. Friends, that's the game for today. That's the main game for today. As Christians speak about Jesus, people are saved by the risen Jesus. I've got just one main point tonight with three sub-points, and it is this. In the face of fear and opposition, we must keep speaking about Jesus. In the face of fear and opposition, we must keep speaking about Jesus. If you're not a Christian here today and you've been brought along by a friend, thank them for bringing you, because it's a pretty scary thing to do to invite a friend who isn't a Christian to church. But as we go through this, I want you, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, to ask yourself, where do I stand before Jesus? Do I know who he is? Do I know what he's done? And am I in opposition to this Jesus? I don't know whether you felt it as we read Acts 4, whether you felt uh, this kind of inadequacy as we see Peter and John speaking about Jesus. They really are these evangelistic guns, aren't they? In the face of real persecution, they say things like verse 12. They say, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. They're bold as brass, aren't they? HR policies that have been written for people like uh, Peter and John. So bold. Even their persecutors notice it, verse 13. They observed the boldness of Peter and John. Well, how on earth are we ever going to be as bold as this? It's scary. There's much at risk when we talk about Jesus. I think there's three things in this long passage this morning. Three things that the Holy Spirit is doing in Peter and John. And three things that we can ask the Holy Spirit to do in us. First thing, Peter and John are certain of the resurrection of Jesus. Just have a look with me at verses, verses one and two. Now, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. Things have kicked off in Jerusalem because they are proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. And in doing that, we've seen some great results. We hear 5,000 men believe, 5,000 men plus women and children. That is an enormous uh, quick growth of the church. And as they've preached, as they've gone about doing the work of the risen Jesus, they've healed this lame man. We heard about him last week, didn't we? That should be a good thing, right? It should be a good thing. This bloke has never walked in his life, and he is healed by Peter and John. should be a good thing, but not for the religious authorities. You see, the lame man, Peter tells us, the lame man is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. His healing proves that the risen Jesus is still at work, saving people from God's judgment, saving people for resurrection life. Now, religious authorities, 
they didn't like it. The Sadducees, they didn't like it because they didn't believe in the resurrection. It just wasn't part of their worldview. But the chief priests, they didn't like it because they didn't like Jesus. Remember when they killed him? Notice verse 7. It's specifically the name of Jesus that gets their goat. By what power and in what name have you done this? See, there's real danger for Peter and John. Real danger. These are the guys that killed Jesus. But Peter can't stop speaking about Jesus. He can't stop speaking about him. Why? Because of verse 11. He says, the resurrected Jesus is the stone is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, for us non-engineers among us, a cornerstone is apparently a massive brick that holds the building together. Take it away, uh, and the whole building falls down. Engineers, please don't come to me afterwards and correct me. Uh, what what, what uh, Peter is getting at is that he is quoting Psalm 118. And he says to the religious leaders that Jesus is the foundation brick of the resurrection life. By rejecting him, you religious leaders, by rejecting him, they've done a very silly thing. They've done a very silly thing. But, Peter says, Jesus' resurrection enables our resurrection. To oppose and reject Jesus is a foolish and a very sad thing. But to accept Jesus is to be saved by Jesus. To be saved by, from God's judgment, to be saved from hell, and be saved for resurrection life. Why is that so good? Well, there'll be no cripples in resurrection life. There'll be no sadness. There'll be no suffering. Peter says, no one else can make that life possible. Verse 12, he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. No other religion can do that. No good work, no, uh, uh, no good deed. Peter says, only Jesus can save you. Imagine Peter doesn't get invited to too many barbecues, does he? It's not exactly PC, is it? But if we believe it, we need to say it. I know that comes at great cost, and I know that doesn't come independent of a life that is gripped by the gospel. But we need to say it. Surely that's the loving thing, isn't it? I don't know whether you saw it. There is a a YouTube clip of the magician Pendulette. He's of Penn and Teller, if you've heard them, heard of them. Um, anyway, he's a massive atheist. He's a famous atheist. And one day after a show, he was signing autographs, and this Christian came up to him and gave him a Bible and told him about Jesus. I'll, I just want to read you what he said about that incident. This atheist, he says this, It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive. He was really kind and nice and sane. Looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. He goes on. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell someone about Jesus? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? 
if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I will tackle you. And this is more important than that. I wouldn't say, I hate my friends, I love my friends, but I can easily skirt around the name of Jesus, the name where resurrection, the hope for resurrection life is. I've been tracking my week as a reluctant evangelist. I really am a coward. Uh, And watching myself skirt around the name of Jesus. So um, I've talked to a dad up at my uh, son's primary school about boats and church rather than Jesus. I've talked to one of the au pairs that takes some other kids up to the school about church and about One Direction, I think. Instead of Jesus. It's very easy to talk about religion. I talked to a family member who I love dearly about my ordination a couple of weeks ago. Instead of Jesus. I skirt around Jesus. I don't mention his name. I'll talk about religion. I'll I'll happily do good deeds to them. But when it comes to talking about Jesus, I'm a big old coward. See, I don't need the Sadducees on my back and the chief priest to keep me quiet. What I need to keep speaking, though, is a reminder of the resurrection of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. If we're convicted of what we are saved from and what we are saved uh, to because of the resurrection of Jesus, then that changes everything. Peter says, verse 19 and 20, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than, rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Do you remember when you were like that? Perhaps you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 50, uh, 50 years. I remember when I first became a Christian. I could not stop talking about Jesus. I was pretty annoying. My wife said the same. She used to go in and talk to these hard fashion um, professionals and, and would talk to them about Jesus. But as time has gone on, uh, Jesus has featured less in my conversations. I imagine that is the case for you. And I think, as I've been reflecting on this, Jesus features less in our conversations because the wonder of resurrection life has become dull. We've become immune to the wonder of it. We need to know with certainty the resurrection offered in Jesus. Well, second thing uh, we need to be bold as brass in speaking about Jesus is that we need to be confident of God's sovereignty, confident of God's sovereignty. Uh, Verse 23, uh, Peter and John get released from the religious authorities and they go back to their church and they pray with their mates. And look at the prayer. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Verse 24, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth and the sea and everything in them. See, Ed prayed earlier. They appeal to God as creator. And they say, we know nothing is outside of your control and nothing is outside of your power. In fact, they say, 
that this opposition that we're facing for healing this lame man is predicted back in the Old Testament. Look at verse 25. Peter says, You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Speaking from Psalm 2, we had it read earlier by Dean. And Psalm 2 is all about the supreme rule of God's king. And as Jesus comes on the scene, we find out that Psalm 2 is all about Jesus, given all authority in the whole earth. And we read in Psalm 2 that that is not a good thing for everyone. He is rejected by the rulers of the earth. The peoples of the earth plot against him. Peter says, verse 27, that happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. It's happening to us now as the first followers of Jesus after his ascension. And the video that we had earlier says that it happens today. The rulers of the earth oppose Jesus and his rule. It's very easy to look at the world, to look at videos like that and the things that we get in our Facebook feed and think that God has lost his grip on the world. As we see uh, our Christian brothers lined up with knives to their throats on YouTube. As we hear about incredible persecution happening right now in our world. It's easy to think that God has lost his grip on the world. But he hasn't. God hasn't lost his grip on the situation. Verse 28, he says, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We need to know that, don't we? We need to know that when we face opposition, when we face fear in ourselves, and know that the persecution and the fear we face is not outside of God's sovereignty. Speaking of Jesus, will bring us persecution in Australia, perhaps not the orange jumpsuit persecution, but we'll be left off party invites. I remember that was a a big thing when I was working in advertising. I wouldn't get invited to certain things. Uh, We'll be, some of us will know, estrangement from family members. Very real, isn't it? And some of us will be denied promotions. Some of us here might be, have faced real physical persecution. Some people on the tape might be facing real persecution now. But we need to know that God is in control, that Jesus reigns with all authority. That's liberating, isn't it? See, everything we fear about talking, uh, with, uh, talking about Jesus happened to Jesus first. Everything we fear might happen if we talk to people about Jesus happened to the disciples. And everything, uh, we f- what the, the, the worst that we fear is happening to people around the world. There's no alarms, there's no surprises uh, when it comes to speaking about Jesus. Nothing is outside of God's control. Well, they pray this amazing prayer in verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. Do you notice they don't ask for the opposition to be taken away? Pretty interesting, isn't it? 
they ask that they would be bold. Grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. I think we need to be praying this prayer more, don't we? We need to be praying it for ourselves. We need to be praying it for each other. Asking God that he would give us opportunities as the people he's made us, with the people he's put in our lives, opportunities to speak about Jesus. Ones that we can spot and ones that we can handle in the way that God has wired us. I had an experience of praying a prayer like this um, uh, the week before last. I had to have a scary conversation with one of the teachers up at the primary school that my kids are at. I was pretty nervous about it because it meant I would have to speak about Jesus quite explicitly and how that affected our lives. So I was praying, uh, please God, make me bold. uh, Please make me bold. Give me opportunities to speak boldly about Jesus. And, And do you know what happened with this teacher? She asked me two questions in our conversation. She said, how did you become a Christian? And then why did you become a Christian? And do you know the funny thing was, it wasn't even scary. It was a great conversation. It was normal, it was natural. Uh, I was a joker. And it, just, it was just normal. This is what happens when we start to pray, when we trust the sovereignty of God. And when conversations like that happen, we need to remember that they're no less miraculous than the healing of the lame man or the 5,000 people coming to know Jesus in, in Acts. Ordained by a sovereign God in keeping with his sovereign plan. We need to be certain of God's sovereignty. Well, thirdly, we need to be enabled by the Holy Spirit. Enabled by the, by the Holy Spirit. Just have a look with me at chapter 4, verse 31. What happens after this prayer? When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. It's easy as you read Acts to think that these apostles were some kind of robocop evangelists, that they were made out of metal that they don't think the things that we think and feel the things that we feel. You see this prayer and you see this action and you've got to remember who Peter is. Do you remember the last person to interrogate Peter back in Luke's gospel? Who was it? A little slave girl. Big Peter up against this little slave girl. Do you know him, Peter? No, I don't know him. Shameful, shameful denial three times. Peter wept with the shame of his denial. But then you look what the Holy Spirit can do in these men, in these cowards. They are evangelistic guns, aren't they? Of course, you read this and you can feel uh, quite inadequate. You can feel quite inadequate. You can uh, listen to open encouragement and feel quite inarrogant, uh, inadequate when you hear people's story of how, stories of how they evangelize their friends. But Acts 4 is not there. It's not designed to make us feel in, inadequate. It's, help, it's there to help inspire us and equip us to speak of Jesus. Acts shows us what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on cowards like Peter. It shows you what God is doing 
through his people, through his children. Peter is transformed by the Holy, Sp- by the Holy Spirit from a coward into this Jesus-proclaiming, Jesus-loving freak of an evangelist. Turn over the page and uh, just look at ch- from chapter 5, verse 17. This is where the action continues after the, the incident we're going to have preached on next week. Chapter 5, verse 18, they are banged up in jail. At verse 19, an angel breaks, breaks them out of jail. Verse 20, God commands them to stand in the temple complex and tell everyone about Jesus. Now, they could have legged it. They could have been more godly than that, and they could have gone home and, and come up with a nice little strategy of how they might sell something and do good works in the temple complex, and then hopefully they might get to speak about Jesus. But they don't. They go into the temple complex, and they preach about Jesus. There's real threat of death. They wanted to kill them, but they couldn't. Verse 21, in obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. They are filled with the Spirit. The religious authorities are filled with jealousy, and Jerusalem is filled with their teaching. An amazing effect of these bold evangelists. They say, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And they say that to a mob that wants to kill them. They say it to a mob who's already killed Jesus. It's really intimidating boldness, isn't it? Even with the allowance of this being the early church and God doing extraordinary things in time. This is intimidating boldness. It's also infectious boldness, isn't it? I read this and I want what Peter and, uh, Peter and John have got. I want to be able to share Jesus in the same way and see souls saved in the same way that Peter and John do. I want to have what Peter and John have. And then, of course, you realize, I have what Peter and John have. I have the same Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the risen Jesus living in me. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have what Peter and John have. You have God's Spirit living in you. And God has given you that so that you can keep speaking about Jesus in the way that God has wired you, the person he has made you, to the people that God has given to you in your life. See, he takes us cowardly, ordinary Christians and he uses us to speak about his, his son Jesus, to speak about his king, to build his kingdom. In ordinary ways, in the office, in the schoolyard, down the pub, it's an incredible privilege that we have. We have what Peter and John have, the Holy Spirit. I want to leave you with this little extract from uh, Charles Spurgeon's autobiography, 19th century preacher. He uh, liked looking at the, the, um, the gas lamps being lit around the streets of London one at a time. And he says this, I do not know his name, nor his age, nor his residence, but I saw the lights which he kindled. And these remained when he himself had gone on his way. As I rode along, I thought to myself, how earnestly 
do I wish that my life be spent in lighting one soul after another with the sacred flame of eternal life. What a glorious ambition that would be to give ourselves for our tomorrow and our lives ahead. Let's pray that God would do that in us. Our Father, we are sorry when we have kept our mouths shut when you have wanted us to speak about Jesus. Father, we are intimidated by that task that you've given us. We're intimidated by Peter and John. But Father, we are reassured that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that you are at work in your world, making your Son known. Father, we pray that we would have certainty of the resurrection hope that, it is, that is in the name of Jesus, that we would be confident of your sovereignty and would pray to you to open doors for the gospel. And Father, we pray that we would be enabled and used by your spirit to do your work in your world to the praise and glory of your name. Amen.